Welcome to the Retro Life for You podcast, the only podcast for your retro needs. Chris and Travis will be covering everything 70s through 90s with a strong emphasis on the 1980s. That's right, each week they'll be coming at you out of the blue with new shows on music, movies, TV, toys, and more. So step into our time-traveling phone booth and dial that number 867-5309 and be instantly sent back to a better time and place. We'll be walking tall and having some good times and happy days and if anyone tries to bring us down, we'll just tell them to beat it. And just when you thought the entertaining couldn't get any better and you wondered to yourself, how do they entertain us so well? Well, it's like my old friend Jack Bird used to say. It's all in the reflexes. What's happening out there, people? This is Dutch Dallas, the announcer that'll stomp a mud hole in your bouncer, here with a skinny on another episode of the Retro Life for You podcast. This week, Chris and Travis are taking a look at the movie career of one Sylvester Stallone throughout the 80s, possibly one of the greatest actor, director, writer, producers of our time. We're going to tell you about every movie he was involved in in the greatest decade of all, and maybe even discuss the uptick of sales of janky survival knives and jockey lots in flea markets around the world. So make sure your trays are stored properly and your seats are in their upright position, because we're coming in hot, Adrian. Hello everybody, welcome to the podcast. My name is Chris Adams and alongside with me today, my partner in crime, Mr. Travis Rollins. Travis, how's What's it going today? Happening? What's, What's happening? What's happening? It's going good. What's happening? What's going on? We got a, a fun show today, man. Uh, this, uh, for everybody who knows, is our number one show today, our very first show we're doing. And like our hype man said earlier, we're doing a decade of Sylvester Stallone, specifically the 1980s. We're going Don't to touch on... Show? have a good show we're gonna to touch on every movie he did in the 1980s which i believe was a total of 14 if i'm correct here so i can't think of anything better to do travis and go ahead and kick this thing off with the first movie going to you heck yeah man this is going to be a fun one uh like you said first up in 1981 we've got as it was released in britain escape to victory as it's known here if you try to look it up you will never find escape to victory as chris and i learned it's simply Victory. It starred uh, Sylvester Stallone and the great Michael Caine, and it's about Allied prisoners of war who were in uh, in a German prison camp during the Second World War. They're going to play an exhibition match of football or soccer <laughs> against the German team, and I uh, believe they are planning an escape as they do this. It, uh, it also, I almost forgot, it had Pele. It actually had Pele in it. So, and for those that don't know, you know, great soccer star, Pele. Right. Or a legend, I guess we could say a legend, I mean, like a soccer legend. I would say Pele is definitely a legend. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's uh, like I said, it's, it's an older movie. A lot of people don't know very much about it. Um, I personally haven't watched it. I watched a little bit of YouTube around, about it. Um, it looks like a mix between um, The Longest Yard and Escape from Alcatraz. Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea. I had never heard of it until you had brought it up to me, I believe, to be honest. Mm -hmm. That's great, though. 
Absolutely. Well, what, what did we get? I believe he got another movie in 1981, didn't we? Two he did. In uh, he did two movies uh, in one year, in quite yeah, I think two or three times to the 80s. But the next movie in 1981 was Nighthawks. Now, uh, Nighthawks that um, basically starred Sylvester Stallone, Billy Dee Williams, Lindsay Wagner, and Rutger Hauer. This actually was the acting debut of Dutch actor Rutger Hauer. So his first film, and he's been in many more since then. A um, little fun fact about the movie, before I get uh, to a quick synopsis of it here. This movie was supposed to be originally The French Connection 3, mm-hmm. but uh, Gene Hackman did not feel comfortable. He was kind of reluctant to make a third film for The French Connection with his character Popeye Doyle. He, he just was not wanting to do it. So basically right. the idea was scrapped and Universal acquired the rights to the storyline in which uh, David Shaver uh, picked it up and reworked it into Nighthawks. Now Nighthawks, basically, uh, long story short, um, Sylvester Stallone plays a cop named Deke Da Silva. Matthew Fox is the character played by Billy Dee Williams. Two New York City cops who get transferred to an elite anti-terrorism squad. And about the same time, an infamous international terrorist shows up in Rutger Hauer in New York City looking to cause some chaos. So it's up to these two to go ahead and, you know, stop him from what he's doing. The film itself um, grossed $14.9 million in North America and $5 million abroad. So about $24 million altogether on a $5 million budget, which is not too shabby at the time. It was considered a small success, I would say. So. Yeah, I would think so. That's another one of his movies I have not watched, but I, I might plan to. I think I'm definitely in the future going to watch Victory, but I, Nighthawks, I, I might grab it. You know, I might take a chance on both of them. I've seen neither one of them. I've seen bits and pieces of Nighthawks, um, and I'm, I, I may have seen most of it You know, when I was younger, just can't recall, because it's not one that I've watched many times, I'm sure. But I, I would look forward into giving Nighthawks a look for sure and possibly escape to Victory. I mean, it, it can't be too bad. If it is too bad, what do we do? We turn it off. So That's right. So from 81... Oh, uh, oh, would we, though? I mean, we're such 80... We're such retro fanatics. We'd watch the whole thing. Man, we're retro freaks. What are we talking about? <laughs> from from 81, naturally, we go to 82. And 82 is uh, on you right now for the very first movie he did in 82. Oh, yeah. The very first movie in, in 1982 was Rambo First Blood. Yes. Rambo First Blood uh, had... It's based on a book from... Um, I believe David Morrell, and um, it starred, of course, Sly. We had Brian Dennehy played a big part in it. Um, <clears throat> quick overview of the plot. We're going to do this like a, a quickie one, right? But I'm going to get into it a little bit more. But the, the basis of it, your basic overview, he's a homeless drifter and Vietnam vet, and he stumbled into a small town in Washington State, and trouble in explosions ensue (laughs) but it touches on the mistreatment of our armed forces veterans and uh, you know the ptsd and stuff like that and it's it's just wild he goes into town for some food uh the sheriff basically is like you know we don't want no drifters around here and mr john just turns around walks back says i'm gonna give me some food and um, yeah, it, it it gets a little crazy after that one right there. So and everybody, if you haven't seen Rambo, like, come on, man, you know, you got to go watch Rambo. Just after this podcast, go watch Rambo. All of them. All of them. 
all of them. That's the other thing. It spawned a huge. I mean, the last Rambo was made just a few years ago, you know. So uh, it, the other thing about it too is it grossed 156 million at the box office, which is also pretty doggone good for 1982. I would say so. I would say so. And then we've got another huge movie, 1982. 1982, the hits keep on coming. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, like I said, a few different times throughout the decade, has made multiple movies in a year. And the second of the two movies in 1982 he did is Rocky Three. Now, Rocky III, uh, sequel, of course, to Rocky and Rocky Two, released on May 28, 1982. The film grossed $16 roughly, and some change its opening weekend. It earned 125 million 49,000 during its North American theatrical run, becoming the fourth highest grossing film of 1982. And its worldwide box office earnings stands at around 270 million dollars. Now, 270 million dollars in 1982, everybody, is humongous. That is That's out. It's huge. it's unheard of. You would think. Huge. With double all that going what on. Double what Rambo did. Insane. Yes. It's crazy. And uh, the basic synopsis of the movie, you've got Rocky coming back. Um, for a third installment here, he's the champ currently. He done beat Apollo Creed in the second one. He's having defenses of his belt uh, all the time. And then one person comes out of the woodwork wanting his shot. And he can't quite get the shot until he works his way up the ladder. But as it turns out, Mick, which is Rocky's trainer, <coughs> has been kind of protecting him, you might say. And kind of keeping him in fights that he knows he can win. People are mm -hmm. kind of good still but they're they're relevant but they're kind of past their prime making him soft he's making him soft yeah he's not really keeping him on edge like he should be and it's just not it's not working out for him well the new guy the hungry guy will say is clubber lang played by mr t and uh, he is trying his best to rattle rocky's cage to get a fight with him he catches him out in public where they're debuting the statue of rocky i believe it was is that what is that not what they were doing Yes, yes. Uh, debuting the statue of him up there at the top of the steps, and he's calling him out, wanting the match. And Mick is yelling back at him, telling him he ain't getting a fight, he's a bum and everything. And so Clover Lane takes a shot at uh, Rocky's wife, telling him that she looks like she could use some time with the real man if she wants to see what a real man's like. Come on by his pad later, which makes Rocky angry. So mm -hmm. now Rocky's going to have to, uh, let's just say, restore his wife's honor and defend his belt. <laughs> Against right. uh, the, the new guy on the block. Um, unfortunately, during this time frame, his, uh, his uh, manager Mick dies. He loses the title. As a direct result of Clubba shoving Mick behind the scene, uh, stage, if you will, uh, from the first boxing match. Exactly, exactly. And then to the rescue, we have Apollo Creed. Uh, so Carl Weathers is back in the new installment uh, as Apollo Creed brings his training crew with him. Tells Rocky he wants to get him back in the limelight, get that belt around his waist, but he's not one of my favorite when it's over with. So he starts training him. Uh, you have the usual drunk, you know, drama throughout the movie. Uh, he thinks he's not going to be able to, to do it at one point. And Adrian has a talk with him. He starts becoming strong again. He's going to do it for her. He's going to do it for Mick, the memory of Mick. And uh, we have the big fight with him and Clever Lang at the end, of course. And, you know, Rocky comes through gets the title back and everything and as it turns out the favor he owes one more round in the ring with apollo creed but no one else there but them no reporters no tv no crowds just them that's it and nobody knows who won to this it, day nobody it ends that way so great movie 
um, great franchise. Um, one 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 cool tidbit about this I want to say though, um, the song from the Karate Kid, "You're the Best," was originally made for this movie by Joe Esposito, and uh, they felt it didn't quite fit, so they went with "I the Tiger." by Survivor. That was another one that they had made for the movie and they thought that was a better fit for it and dropped I think the they other made one. a good I think they made a good choice there. That's a good choice. Great choice. Both <laughs> of them fit each movie respectively a lot better, I thought. So one hundred percent. now that being said, Grab, so we're moving to nineteen eighty three where Sly didn't exactly have a movie that year, but he did have something right. going on. So tell us about that. He did and I think what I'll do here is I'll go ahead since we like jumping around in time anyway, I'll go ahead and cover two movies that Sly did because these are the two movies that he had as producer and ex executive producer during the 80s so we're going to start with 1983 Staying Alive which is a sequel to Saturday Night Fever starring uh, John Travolta of course and he had a cameo in it where they bumped into each other on the street and Sly turned around with his big fur coat on and you know his cool aviator glasses and kind of gave him a look but um, it was a box office, box office success. It, it earned $127 million worldwide on a $22 million budget, which is not bad. So, you know, if you're, if you're a Travolta fan and a Sylvester fan, that's pretty cool. And then in 1985, we're going to jump ahead two years. 1985, he did Heart of a Champion. He was where he uh, – it was a story about the real-life story of boxer Ray Boom Boom Mancini, which is, you know, any kind of – documentary type or based on real life movies are going to be great. I have not seen this one either. So I'm interested in seeing this, uh, heart of a champion. I may go back and watch that one. So since he only produced these and we're focusing on Sly, we're not going to go. I don't think we should go too much further on those two, but now we'll travel back in time again to 1984 to Chris's favorite Sly movie. <laughs> oh, and it's so nice of you to leave this one for me. My absolute favorite, <laughs> best of all time, Sylvester Stallone movie. I mean, you don't get any better than Ron no. Stone. Oh, yeah. Sly singing Old MacDonald Had a Farm at the Top of His Lungs. Oh, my God. Ryan Stone. <laughs> I knew what you were doing when you skipped ahead to that other thing and left me with this. Now, <laughs> for, those of you, so for those of you who don't know, Stallone turned down Romancing the Stone and lost a uh, possible position to do Beverly Hills Cop. Right. Um, and we'll go over why he lost that position of Beverly Hills Cop in a few movies more from now when we get to it. But uh, turned down Romancing the Stone to make Rhinestone. I guess he thought, you know, sometimes spit with Dolly Parton would be good for him. Right. I felt and that's like, all I, felt I can like, think because it, it just like was on. I felt like making you read that was just twisting the knife a little bit. Oh, man, it's just like you stuck the knife in the back and turned it. But um, Rhinestone, basically, uh, Dolly's character is Jake Ferris, a down-home country singer stuck in a long-term contract performing at a place called the Rhinestone, which is a sleazy urban cowboy nightclub in New York City. Uh, She wants out of this, so she makes a bet with the owner that she can turn the next person she sees into a country music singer. And if so, he has to let her out of her contract. Well, it just so happens the next person that walks in is Sylvester Stallone. Not much of a singer, unless she like old McDonald had a farm. Uh, but she right, does. Right. She sticks with her word. You know, she makes a country singer out of him, or she makes a singer out of him. Let's say, um, eh, sort of, sort of, <laughs> sort of. I mean, sorta. he um, 
he does kind of uh, have to up the tempo a little bit where he's it's like he's trying to rock it out a little bit but to get the crowd to take to him but i mean come on why would you turn down romancing the stone to make this movie it's a bomb at the box office i mean released on june 21st 84 28 million dollar budget and only made 21 million dollars at the box office so I don't understand what he was thinking when he did it, and I don't talk ill of Sly Stallone too much. <laughs> he does, right? I don't. I mean, I really don't. He's got two of the greatest he's franchises. I mean, I mean, yeah, he's a guy's guy. He's got two of the greatest franchises in Rambo and Rocky that you could like, and here we are looking at Rhinestone. And he's one of the top two, in my mind, action heroes ever. Yes, I mean, when you think of Stallone, you don't think of humor, you don't think of comedy too much, really. Little one-liners, little quippy one-liners in action films, and that Stone look he gives you or something, you know, uh, just just action, pure action is right. what it is. So, I mean, and that's and we did not get any of that in Rhinestone, so. <laughs> so, moving along. <laughs> Needless to say, we're moving along to you, and you were going on to something better than rhinestone in 1984 um it's hard to say 84 i'm sorry 1985 1985 i believe next up is rambo 2 rambo 2 first blood part 2 first blood part 2 so this one here what's wrong with you if you haven't seen rambo hey show your kids man it's cool watch (laughs) death everywhere let your kids watch it yeah let your kids watch it man you know so anyway, the film's plot is inspired. Um, this one is inspired by. It, it keeps the vein of how we mistreat our armed forces, but it. Not really our armed forces as much as our veterans. Our veterans, our veterans, when they come home. But this one is more. It, it, it holds that vein, but it's more focused on the POW MIA issue, back in Vietnam. Um, it was released. 1985 with a $44 million budget and it made in 1985 Chris do you remember this one because we had two movies that made the exact same amount oh in 1985 the number number, uh, 300.4 million 300.4 million dollars in 1985 off of a $44 million dollar budget crazy that is mind boggling that's like one of the top movies that's uh, that's insane so anyway, the time frame is three years after the first blood, the first first blood. <laughs> he was Colonel Troutman, and um, Troutman showed up at the end of the first first blood and took him away. So, or no, he gave him over to the police, didn't he? Calmed him down and then gave him over to the police. Yeah, he came in at the end of the first one. blood, and he basically talked him down to walk him out. Otherwise, he wasn't going to get out alive. He told him so. Right. Go out, so face the music of what down. he did, and they'll take care of things later. So Trapman comes out and gets him out work he's doing at the prison and tells him, you know, what's going on. And, uh, you know, as as usual, he's he's reluctant to take it on. But great, great movie. Um, Chris and I feel like up to a certain number of Rambos, the Rambos get better. And um, <clears throat> this one... You know, as far as the action and everything goes, I think Chris, the same page is it's better than the first one. There's more action. Yes. There's more going on. The story, um, the the great audio from Rambo at the end. The first it's one, just, it's, Travis. The first one just introduces the character John Rambo and what predicament he finds himself in. 
He's a he's a he's a Vietnam veteran who's not received properly by his people here. No one wants to be a part of him. They look at him as being a vagrant. They don't want anything to do with him. They they, they right. ignore him when they see him. They don't talk to him or whatever. Uh, he's just he's, you know it's just like mistreated. And they and, don't know what he's they don't know what he's been through. Right. And the know? second movie is and, more put him in his environment and the place where he right, thrives and where he does and it's all action. See, we get to see. We get to see him. We get to see all the. We get to see the iconic moment where he pulls the M60 off of the helicopter and goes to town with the M60 and the big chain of uh, rounds hanging off the side of his arm. You know, fights and helicopter scenes, uh, torture scenes. There's just a lot of great stuff about Rambo too. Uh, once again, go watch Rambo. So you, got, you, you can't forget the best part though when he goes into end to the commander that was ordered to abandon him where he was. You know, you forgot he, he goes back in after he shoots the place up and basically threatens to kill the guy and tells him to go find yeah. that, that there's that he know there's POWs there to make sure he goes and finds them because he found that the camps were not empty that he went to go look at. Right. Right. And he told and he ended up telling him that he asked him what do you want and he told him that I just want our country to love us as much as we love it. Not verbatim, but. <laughs> Not verbatim, right. But I mean, it's to the point. That's what he said, basically. And, of course, he said exactly. it in that more powerful tone. He's, that's, he, he has a yeah, tendency to do that in Rambo some of his tone. movies. Usually Rambo and the Rocky movies where he does these things. Yeah, Rocky and Rambo. He He's softer in Rambo. You know, I just want my country to love me. You know? <laughs> yeah, as much as he loves you. Oddly, it's kind of more tender when he speaks as Rambo as when he speaks with Rocky, you know. But there again, and carry a big stick. I don't know. So that's true. Well, I mean, going from Rambo to Rocky, from '85 to what '85, Rocky Four is now 85. out. Yeah, Rocky Four is now out. Uh, yes. 1985 American sports drama written by, directed by, and starring Sylvester Stallone. And in this one, we bring in Dolph Lundgren. Uh, Dolph Lundgren, we didn't touch on this fun fact, though, uh, in Rambo 2. If you remember, Dolph Lundgren was talked about being brought in as the main bad guy. Right. And they never did it. Because, we you know, did miss that. We we did. We did miss out on that. Yeah, when, um, when Sylvester found out that they cast Dolph as the colonel in Rambo 2, Dolph Lundgren had signed the contract, so paid out the contract to hire the actor that they brought in to replace him. So he got paid for that movie in that movie. Uh, that's crazy. And here he is in Rocky Ford playing the main bad guy that he's facing against right. him there. So, and of course, we bring right. in uh, the rest of the cast back Talia Shire, Burt Young, Carl Weathers, Tony Burton. Uh, Brigitte Nielsen stars in it, or uh, is in it as a part playing um, Dolph Lundgren's character, Ivan Drago's wife. Uh, just in the movie here is that Ivan Drago is a Russian boxer. He is being touted as the greatest athlete ever. They are making him a scientific experiment, basically. They're putting uh, what I'm assuming is legal steroids into him, because if it was illegal steroids, it would prevent him from boxing. But they're doing these things and using the top of the line machinery tech machinery to work with his punches the strength his uh, agility and stuff like that uh he is a powerhouse 
and uh, yeah, to say the least. To say the least. Eighteen hundred and seventy-four psi batonis punch, where the average boxer was eight hundred and seventy. I believe exactly. It was, it was it was crazy. Something like that. Yeah. And the guy said, he said, "What does that mean?" And that Russian guy says, "It means whatever he hits, he breaks." <laughs> he breaks. Yeah, uh, so, uh, cool thing too about Dolph Lundgren because I love Dolph Lundgren. Uh, Dolph Lundgren at the time was actually a Caribbean um, in the Caucasian uh, path. He's a second degree uh, or second Dan black belt in Caucasian and was actually a karate champion. And um, I saw a thing where they were Dolph and Sylvester were talking about the punches and stuff because they didn't pull punches for the movie. And there was one shot where he hit him in the top of the head. <laughs> And Sylvester said, I felt that in I felt that in my butt. You hit me in the top of the head and I could feel it in my butt. <laughs> that's a, I just thought that was hilarious. That's power right there. That's what that that's is. That's power. That's power. That is, there's also yeah. you know, speaking of power, there's another also a little tidbit about this movie, uh, before we go further into the uh, synopsis of it. That um they were uh, doing some of their stuff, uh sparring wise and Stallone wanted to capture the realistic scene and Lundgren agreed they would actually engage in legitimate sparring so one particularly forceful punch from Lundgren right. hit Stallone's chest and it slammed his heart against right. his breastbone causing his heart to swell and uh, Stallone ended up suffering from labored breathing and blood pressure well over 200 was flown to from the set in Canada to St. John's Regional Medical Center where he spent uh, I think it was eight days in intensive care they said it's crazy Carl that's Weathers what, even almost walked say. off the movie saying Lundgren was too aggressive uh, that's according to, to that's according to Stallone he had said Carl Weathers exactly um, yeah. but back to the movie itself uh, Drago has come to the United States to prove he's the best boxer he wants to have a match with Rocky Balboa who is now retired at this point and not boxing but um they're running down the United States, and Apollo Creed does not take highly to it, so he challenges him to an exhibition match, in which case they come out there. And it's supposed to be just an easygoing exhibition match, but this is not how the Russians and Drago have seen it, and they're treating it like it's a championship match for the belt. And before Rocky could throw the towel in, he'd taken one too many hits, and he basically died in the ring. Um, so now we've lost Mick in the third movie. We've lost Apollo in the fourth movie, and um, this has made... Rocky angry and he's he's challenging them and he's going to Russia to take the match to him there so you have a montage of him training in Russia doing old school style stuff flipping big giant tires carrying logs across his shoulders uh, taking runs up a snowy mountain peak which is supposed to be Russia and funny enough it's shot in Wyoming um, I think it was Wyoming don't yeah Wyoming too. that's what it was don't forget don't forget too that Adrian was completely against this Adrian she told was. him she said you can't win yeah, she's completely against him going because Apollo just died, and she didn't want to take a chance right. on Rocky dying in the process so she, as well. So she, so she did not join him when they first went uh, with Polly and uh, Don. Is it Don? The trainer, the ball-headed guy from Duke. The, Duke. Thank you, yes. thank you. So when Polly and Duke were the only two that went with him to Russia initially. Yeah, and she shows up uh, in time for the match and everything, which is uh, set around Christmas time in the movie. But uh, uh, in true Rocky fashion, you know, he gets there and he, he takes the fight to him. Before too long, the crowd starts chanting Rocky's name because no matter how many times Drago punches him, uh, he's not going down. And he said at one point Drago tells his trainers, is it? He said he's not 
he's not real. He's, he's, he's like hitting a piece of iron, you know, right. and then they go till I forget how many rounds deep it is around what, 13 to 15 rounds somewhere in there. And he eventually knocks Drago out and has another right. little inspirational speeches about, you know, you know, uh, if I can change, you can change. We can all change. We can all get along and stuff like that. Uh, right. Makes those type of things. And now, underlying. <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, as far as the movie here goes, it had a great soundtrack to it. You had uh, Living in America by James Brown, The Hearts on Fire by John Cafferty. Uh, Kenny Loggins had a song. I'm not sure what it was. I can't remember. Uh, Robert Tepper did the song No Easy Way Out, and Survivor's song was Burning Heart. That was a, a big hit, actually, along with Living in America. Went pretty high, both of them pretty high up the charts. Right. So, Another thing about this movie is the underlying current that showed Drago did not appreciate being a robot. It kind of showed how he didn't, you know, at the end, remember, he grabbed that dude by the throat and picked him proud. So right. it kind of showed how Drago was like, you know, we need to be more honorable, too. He can, Like, Rocky even won Drago over by the end. Right. Exactly. Well, now... It's wholesomeness. It's wholesomeness. <laughs> Speaking of wholesome or not so wholesome, <laughs> this brings us next oh to my. you in 1986 with the uh, next oh Stallone my. movie. Yes, where we're talking about uh, not being wholesome. Cobra, based on Marion Cobretti. One of... My one of my favorite Stallone movies that I have to argue, I have, I have not argue, but I have to take up for a fair amount. But it was so graphically violent that it needed so much additional editing that it took a lot of story out and put actual actually put plot holes into the movie, along with it releasing at the same time as I believe was a Top Gun. Yeah, they were going up against Top Gun, and uh, Stallone said they had to cut the movie shorter. If they wanted to compete, because you know Top Gun was going to get a lot more uh, viewings because it was a shorter movie. Along with that, the fact that had they not cut a lot of this out, also it initially received an X rating from the MPAA, Warner Brothers. How so violent just, do you have for, to be to get an X rating? Yeah, that's not nudity. That's violence. That's rough. So it was. It's Lucy. Ah novel fair game by paul paula gosling which makes me i'm a reader too so i'm may check that out as well because you know how how bad novels are compared to what we show on film so um it was the screenplay was originally conceived from ideas that he had during pre-production of beverly hills cop because he was cast to play beverly hills cop right and he well, he was offered the role the movie. He, he, he was, was offered, offered the he role. was offered the role of axel foley and he, he looked at the script and basically went back and was like, you know, I don't like it. You know, here's right. what I did. Here's what I wrote. He didn't like the comedy. He, right. he didn't enjoy the comedy. So he basically rewrote the entire script for it. And they were like, you know what? We're good. And they went with Eddie Murphy, which is probably a good thing, too. <laughs> I think Eddie Murphy is Axel Foley. I don't think you could have done it with anybody else at that point. No. Because it not only was Stallone offered the chance, it was also Mickey Rourke as well. And I don't, think, I don't think Mickey Rourke would have fit the bill for it. It would not have been no. the same Beverly Hills Cop. Right, so so Cabretti in the movie, he took out a gunman in a hostage situation, and he's taking on – that causes a confrontation too which uh, with the New World, <clears throat> which is a terrorist group, and it's led by this homicidal maniac who's extremely frightening. That, and this guy's played by Brian Thompson, 
who, if you don't remember back this far, then surely you've seen the Mortal Kombat movie. He played Shao Kahn in the Mortal Kombat. He was also the right-hand man of um, the lady, they called her, in uh, Lionheart, the Van Damme movie. So this guy's been around. He's usually cast as a baddie. But I'm going to tell you now, when I was a kid, and one of the reasons that this movie has such a special place in my heart was because he was genuinely frightening to me. And the knife that he carried is real special, too, to collectors. It's called the Cobra. If you ever see a knife, it's got a big, huge hunting-style blade on it. And it's got, like, brass knuckles for the handle, and it's got spikes that hang off of it. That style of knife is called, that knife is named the Cobra. And I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like it. this movie. And um, that's the knife. During the movie, he was constantly sharpening this knife, you know. Just real, real crazy. So, anyway, they're having a fight. Going back, save the day, and he's just really, really sideways kind of. He's like he's almost a dirty cop because he based it on Dirty Harry. You could rename it Dirty or Harry. <laughs> dirty I always or Harry. Around a, I carried around a, 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 a strike anywhere match in my mouth because of this movie when I was a kid. Yeah, um, Siskel, Gene Siskel, Siskel and Ebert summarized that he could call it Filthy Harry. So. Not to spend too much time on it because a lot of people don't know it, don't like it. But you know, hey, how can you not love? How can you love Sylvester Stallone and not at least like Cobra? So nineteen ninety, like nineteen eighty six, we're going to eighty seven. You know, I I feel like that description you had of Cobra was a bit over the top. No way. What's that? No wait, That's what I'm doing. Over the top. Nineteen eighty seven. Robert. Oh, you, be, oh, you lost your place. <laughs> no, no, I said, I believe your description of a Cobra, sir, was a little bit over the top. And then I said, no, wait, oh, that's wait, what I'm doing. It. I'm doing over the top. Oh, oh, uh, oh. So, of course, I starting. See, I missed the pun. It went right over my head. Uh, well, you know, I can't get good help these days, so. I know. I don't know. But starring Sylvester Stallone, over the top, uh, Robert Loggia, Susan Blakely, and uh, Terry Funk had a part in it. So if you're an old-school wrestling fan, then you know who Terry Funk is, of course. He's been in several movies and definitely a big star in the wrestling scene throughout the 80s and 90s. Um, but uh, so Stallone plays a hardcore role. Hardcore legend. Hardcore legend, yes. Oh. <laughs> Definite. Uh, the Funk family in general, legend. But um, Stallone plays the role of Lincoln Hawk, who's a truck driver who also arm wrestles for extra cash when he's on the road. Um so he makes a big name for himself and on the arm wrestling, uh, let's just call it the amateur circuit since it's, you know, little truck stops and everything. But um, mm. he had married a girl, had a baby with her, and the father of the girl did not really care for him too much. Didn't want him around, said he would never make anything out of himself and he would drag her down with him. Something happens right. where he... You need to marry. It's you exactly, need to marry a doctor. Exactly. <laughs> Lawyer, doctor, not an arm wrestling truck driver. But uh, he, he he ends up basically running him off in some way, and uh, he leaves, and he takes it upon himself to to write the kid, like, every week when he gets a, a little older where he can read the letters and such, and keeps in touch with her over the years. Um, didn't want to do it, but something that he did for the, you know, the, the best of the family, basically. Um, at one point, the woman he married is dying, and she's suffering from a heart disease, and she wants Hawk to pick up their young son, whose name is Michael, from military school, and uh, develop a relationship with him that he hasn't had a chance to do yet. Uh, Hawk had left 10 years earlier, and of course now the boy's 10 and doesn't really know his father. 
the wealthy grandfather is named Jason Cutler, which is played by Robert Loggia. Police Hawk has no right to be in his life and just still doesn't want him around. So, long story short, he picks him up. He carries him across country from Colorado to California. They have a few bumps and ups and downs, but they end up, you know, bonding with each other over a few similar things. And they get to California a bit too late. The mother has already died earlier that day, so the son didn't get a chance to say goodbye to her. Blames Lincoln Hawk for it and runs back off to his grandfather's house. Uh, The grandfather tells him that... um, the son doesn't want to be with him, you know, and he says, you know, he thinks it's best you just go on your way. So he goes ahead and just leaves so that he wouldn't put any pressure on the kid and goes on to the arm wrestling championships that he's been working himself toward, the World Arm Wrestling Championship in Vegas. Uh, a lot of participants there, and one in particular is one that's had his eye on Hawk during the amateur circuit there at the truck stop, same Bull Hurley. The two of them end up facing off each other at the end of the event before the end of the event gets there however the son realizes that the grandfather had been lying all these years he found all the letters that the father had written um they were never thrown away they were just hidden so he didn't throw them away or destroy him which maybe he should have if he was trying to keep him from him you know but uh some people just aren't that smart anyways um he uh 10 years old the boy hops in a truck <laughs> Steals for steals a truck yeah. from his grandfather and drives ten years old. Ten years old and drives to the place in Vegas where the arm wrestling championship is being held. He must have been raised in Appalachia. I, you know, honestly, I don't know if he drove there. I don't. <laughs> I don't know if he drove there or he got there by private plane because the grandfather had a private plane too. I, I really can't remember. But he got we there. Drive early here. He he did get there to where they were having him and um, meets up with him, gives Lincoln Hawk the inspiration he needs to go quote-unquote over the top and win the championship and the two of them go off and live together at that point uh we'll just say happily ever after although we don't really know that to be true or not uh in this movie it's got a song that i thought was really great and it's by kenny loggins and anytime you want a a song on a soundtrack done in the 80s you call it kenny loggins he had quite a few known for quite a few so many hit ones from there you know dangerous zone footloose i'm all right um, I mean, you can just go for days. You can have a. I know. You can, yeah. It's crazy. And then this one here you he had was it. called "Meet Me Halfway," which was a great one on its own. Absolutely, you could do a three-year-long podcast on Kenny Loggins. <laughs> we could. We should. But we should. Uh, anyway, going from uh, over the top, we are now going to 1988. Eight. No, it wasn't nine. It was eight. It was 1988. 1988. And yes. It's, and it's, it, I do believe it's your turn. I do believe it is in 1988. Uh, yeah, long story long for over the top. You give us such a description for such a mediocre movie again. We're going to have... Oh, wow. Mediocre. It's <laughs> a great movie. Why so much hate for Over the Top, man? You'd think it was Why Rhinestone. So much hate for Cobra. You'd think oh, it was oh, Rhinestone or something. You would think. No, Over the Top was great. So we go into 1988 for Lockup with the great Donald Sutherland as Warden Drum. Drum Ghoul. Warden Drum Ghoul. And uh, <clears throat> we have Sylvester Stallone as Frank Leone. And uh, basically, he's sent to prison for taking the law into his own hands. He avenges an attack on his father. Just for a week before he is released, he escapes from prison to go see his father on his father's deathbed. And 
then he ends up serving five more years for this new crime. And during that time, it he gets into well, well you know what? He was on kind of like a furlough type thing where he was able to go out and fix his car and you know spend time with his girlfriend and play football and stuff too, which is kind of weird to me. Like I've never heard of a work release, maybe, but a prison furlough. <laughs> I'm sure, a lot of people would love that. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's your classic. He's mistreated by guards, and you know. Uh, you got Chink Weber, who's like the gang leader in there. And Danny Trejo is one of Chink's inmates, small part in the movie. But Danny's had, what, hundreds of movies that he's had small parts in. And, um, you know, they go to re- – they name Maybelline. And um, <clears throat> Leone explains to uh, Eclipse – well, okay, Eclipse is a friend that he makes inside. So he explains to Eclipse – he was sent to prison for taking the law into his own hands. So he allows another person to start the car, and they drive the car outside of the garage into the prison yard and start driving it around. And it just brings, you know, happiness and joy to the inmates. Well, Drumgool don't dig that. <clears throat> so he makes Leone and his friends watch as they have, I believe, Chink's gang, <clears throat> excuse me, Destroy the car. Like, they just beat it to crap. They, they just tore it to pieces. Tore it to pieces. I mean, it's such yeah, a great it car, too. It was a classic. Terrible. Oh, it was beautiful, too. They, they killed it, man. They smashed it. It was awesome. And then they go, well, they smashed it in the build and they smashed it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they did a good job. So <clears throat> they put Leone in solitary confinement and they tortured the crap out of him. And, you know, he wants chink to kill him and this and that so they go through all the stuff and then all of a sudden uh i believe it was one of the guards that claimed he was going to rape melissa which was his girlfriend one of the guards went undercover uh he went undercover as an inmate that's what it was he went undercover as an inmate so he started making you know threats sideways threats that he was going to rape melissa so of course leone he breaks into Drumgool's office and they have a confrontation and <clears throat> ends up leaving the prison. You know, he, he's a judicial inquiry is made. So they, they inquire into what's going on in here and they find out all the corrupt behavior by the warden and all this stuff. And then a few weeks later, Frank goes free and clear and meets up with uh, his, his buddy Eclipse one last time. And as you said before, they live happily ever after. Happily. As yes. happy as you can be when you go to prison. As happy as you could be with a felony on your record. You know, I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't pick up on it earlier. You did say that Melissa was Leone's wife, right? Uh, I, I thought it was his girlfriend. I thought, I don't know. his wife? I can't remember. Wife, girlfriend, one of the two. I'm not sure which. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. The, the furlough that he would take so he'd be able to spend time with his and, girlfriend, and, Melissa. And if you haven't seen this movie, it's definitely worth a watch because at the end, the drama builds up to a point where Leone has a standoff with the uh, warden there, Drumgool, which is great. Yeah. you It's something that you yeah, really... Yeah, it's a great movie. You really have to see, without us explaining to you what it was and ruining it for you, you really got to see it. It's awesome. Yeah, ex- except for, you know, ask Ryan Stone. Stallone didn't really make you know, crashes, but he didn't really make bad movies, in my opinion. Uh, no. Right, stuff. Yeah. Bad movies. I, I, 
you know, I saw it as a kid. I probably couldn't watch it as an adult. But there, this is another year that he made two movies. Two. The last time two. he did it in that decade, the last time, I do believe. And uh, right. the other movie he made is none other than my favorite of the Rambo series, Rambo 3. And I'm going to have to agree with you on Yes, I think this is the absolute best one. This is where uh, he... It, it has like the greatest intro almost of any 80s movie, or one of the best at least. Maybe not the greatest, but definitely it ranks up in the top three for me for intros to a movie of how it builds up to him. You know, he's, he's getting the headband put on. He's flexing the muscles. He's gonna, He goes to the stick fight against the dude uh, yes. from where he's the at. Stick fight. The, it the was something stick fight else. was one of the greatest moments in the movie to me. Yeah. It was, Harold, it was, that... That guy's name, he was he was actually a kickboxing champion. He still teaches self-defense right now in California. Um, <clears throat> his name was Harold Diamond. And I went back, as a confession, I went back scenes from Rambo 3. And the stick fight was the first one. And anybody, please, just go look it up on YouTube and watch that stick fight. And if you are into wrestling, tell me that how much... <laughs> that looks like Roman Reigns. That dude looked just like Roman Reigns. I was laughing uh, so I hard. Know. I don't know. I mean, he's close. Dude, isn't that maybe he could have been his daddy. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he, he looks close, but I don't know if it's just like him or not, but close. Oh, man. Oh, it was for me. So, anyway, back yeah. to the... Back, but but back the thing the is, uh, he's this is just showing you what Rambo is doing at this point in his life. He's, uh, he's there, and he's stick fighting at this point. Um, it goes to the next scene. You see Troutman along with uh, another guy from the Capitol. They're there to go and recruit Rambo. The guy with him, ironically enough, is the guy that plays Red Foreman in that 70s show and plays mm -hmm. in Robocop as Boddicker, I believe it is. Uh, it's crazy. Um, cannot remember the guy's name, though. I don't know why. It's, it's, on, it's on the tip of my tongue, and I can't say it. Uh, but uh, uh, Red Foreman, that's Kurtwood Smith. Kurtwood Smith. Thank you very much. That's who it is. Yes, yes sir. Um, so they're there to recruit him, and they, they bring it to Rambo's attention when they finally find where he's at. He's staying at a, at a place where some monks are. He's fighting for money, giving the monks the money, helping them out, build things, repair things. And um, they offer him, well, not offer, they, they, they ask him what he like to go in with Troutman. Troutman's taking a group of people in to deliver some uh, Stinger missiles to Afghan rebels who were trying to uh, hold their own against uh, Russia at this point in time. And uh, they're almost doing it, but they can't take out some of the certain machineries that are coming in, you know, the, the helicopters and everything and things of that nature. So um, Rambo turns them down, says, you know, this isn't his war. You know, he has to stop sometime, and he doesn't go. Well, Troutman goes in anyway and gets caught in the process. Right. So Kurtwood yeah. Smith comes back to him, says, we thought you'd at least like to know. And he puts the folder down for him. And Rambo says, when are you going to go get him? He says, we can't. You know, he says, they can't send nobody over there, no group over there. He says, what about me? He says, what about you? You're done. He says, can you get me in? So he says, yeah. So anyway, he goes over there. And I thought this movie had some of the best action in it. I thought, you know, oh, Rambo dude. First Blood Part Two was great. It had a lot of good action in it in the jungles of Vietnam where he was and familiar with. But in this one, you get like the caves of the cave systems of Afghanistan, the open desert, uh, the man. It's just that the cinematography 
overall of that movie for me was, was ahead of its time too. It yeah. was like not as far as special effects, but just the, the pure cinematography of it, the shots yeah. that they captured and the those you know, the stick fight when it comes in and it pans across the crowd and stuff and the the grime and grit and like it's just I things have been refurbished and retouched these days to look better, but man, that was just such a impactful scenery in, in, in the in that movie. Yeah, yeah, and, and and Rainbow gets in. He gets into where Troutman's being held. He does make the rescue, and in the process, they're helping the Afghan rebels making a stand at one point if they can. Or actually, after he rescues Troutman, the Afghan rebels um, come to help them. Uh, it looks like they're about to be at their wits' end here. They've been cornered, you should you could say, and uh, just as they're about to give in and make their last stand, you start hearing this rumble. And it's all the rebels coming in on horses and everything uh, to to take the fight to them. Um, and you get to see Rambo on a horse with a bow. Cool Rambo thing about this. Rambo on a this, horse with a bow. Cool thing about that horse. Okay, this just cool thing about that horse. I've got a. Uh, it's it's a zoo. You'll call it a zoo. It but it's called Holly Wild Animal Farm down the road from me. So the horse that John Rambo rode in that movie was actually in crusade as indiana's horse same horse yes that that horse came for three to five years that horse was on site at holly wild animal farm alongside the appaloosa that was in pippi longstocking that i got to ride when you wrote it when you wrote it did you chant out to everybody i'm pippi longstocking i'm pippi longstocking I started to. I started to, but, but my uncle didn't. Ken, who worked behind the scenes there, which yeah. is the reason I didn't get in, he, he wouldn't have liked that reflection. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't make everybody happy, man. Come on. Well, this I mean, the, this, this movie has the, the, the climax there at the end, basically, where the general of the or, – or whatever he is, the commander of the Russian people, Russian army there, is going head-to-head against Rambo. Rambo is in a tank. And the Russian guy in the helicopter, and they're basically looks like they're playing chicken and coming at each other. And needless to say, the uh, Russian commander loses because the tank goes right into the cockpit of the of the helicopter. Right. Done with. Isn't it ironic, or at least a little, at least a little odd, that in the 80s we're making movies about you know we go from Vietnam to Russia and Afghanistan, and here we are in 2022. <laughs> yes. Still at it. <laughs> something still still to this day you you, you gotta have Something's a bad guy right changed. you gotta have a bad guy uh, the middle east has been at war for a thousand years so whatever so let's uh go ahead and jump forward we got one last movie to do and then after this last movie you go with we're going to each give our top three that we like from that decade yes if you're up for and that and we have not discussed this prior either so. no no this is gonna be yes. i'm not sure what you're gonna do knowing you you'll pick rhinestone because that sounds like something you do but if you will, mm-hmm. sir, if you will, kind sir, please hit 1989 and tell us what it was about. 1980, 1989 was Stallone and Russell, Kurt Russell, in the buddy cop action movie about corrupt bosses. This movie, uh, I, <laughs> uh, I just got it today on Amazon Prime because we have talk, we talked about it. And I'm like, you know what? I need to watch this movie again because I do remember that movie being so good. Um, it also had Terry Hatcher, who I was in love with, uh, when she did w- with Dean Cain. They did the um, Superman thing. The name of that was uh, I forgot the name of that. That's Lois and Clark, rival- sir. Lois and Clark, thank you. 
narcotics detectives. And what's funny about this movie, too, is at the very beginning of it, Tango, Tango is still on. Yes, Tango is uh, on a drug bust, and those, these cops are standing around, and they're like, who does he think he is? Who, who do you think you are? And the cop standing on top of the Tango is like, he thinks he's Rambo. Uh-oh, uh, uh-oh. You're not, not going to go there, are you? Oh, no. You're not going to go there, are you? He calls him a bad name. He calls him a bad name. He said Rambo was a a wimp, we'll say, on our family-friendly show. I think Rambo was a form of a kitty cat. That's kind of where he was getting with it. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly right. So then he shoots the side of the tanker and cocaine cocaine starts falling out. I thought to myself, too, like, how hard are these cops getting just tasting to see if it's cocaine? What if it was, like, Ajax or something? That'd be that'd be bad. So it was released by Warner Brothers in the United States on uh, December 22nd in 1989. So right in time for Christmas, it had a budget of 54 million and made 120 million. So it doubled. They made double the profit of what it cost. I would say close to. Eh, no, they made one and a half times the profit, which I would say was a success. Yeah. I think you were closer when you said you said 120.4 million, right? Mm-hmm. Budget of fifty four. I mean, if it fits fifty five million double, that would be one ten. So you were closer the first 10. time. Yeah, one and a half times the profit of what it costs. So anyway, they're opposites in like every single way. So Tango's the, you know, he's well. We'll put it this way: Cash calls him Mister Armani. <laughs> so uh, or Inspector Armani or something. I but uh, they they're rivals. They're big time rivals. Who's gonna make the most busts and this and that? So they end up. Uh, they, they're vying for headlines. <laughs> so uh, they end up getting set up and they get arrested because they're framed, you know. And uh, <clears throat> Parrot, Parrot was played by Parrot, was played by, help me out here, Chris, I don't remember Parrot. Parrot. Just, uh, oh, uh, Jack Palance. Jack Palance, thank you, thank you, the Aqua Velva Man. Cool. <laughs> Refreshing, Aquaville. <laughs> <laughs> so he he's the baddie in the movie, and um, I went too far. I just lost my entire place. But uh, he. How good is a movie when you can talk about it and you just lose your mind and forget what you're talking about? How I know, good? It's I just I just watched half of it too, so it's like it's it's killing me too because I'm laughing at. All of it's my ADD's kicking in, and all of it's playing over in my mind, you know. <laughs> so, so anyway, Parrot convinces his associates to have a problem, take you know, take care of it. But he he's feeling like it's too quick and easy to kill him, so he's going to discredit them and ruin their career and all. And um, they end up out, you know, getting arrested and getting back out. And now they're trying to clear their names, which it is hilarious uh there's a point in the movie that um like you touched on uh in other conversations that kurt russell kind of caught a little bit of flack for uh they were in the cleopatra club where i believe terry hatcher they were asking for Catherine, and they ended up with her sister kiki no 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 uh you're you're you really get lost at this point uh tango tells yeah. cash if he needs to get in touch with him after they've broken out of prison to go clear their names to go to the Cleopatra Club and ask for Catherine. Catherine is right. Kiki. Kiki's her dancer name. So uh, he, Catherine uh, is uh, Tango's sister. 
So uh, Cash goes there looking. Uh, no one knows who Catherine is, but she hears him asking. And uh, she gets there in and takes go. him to the back, and they have a quick discussion. Well, they know cops are in there, and they got to get out. So she comes up with a creative way for them to get out. And that is when she comes out in the biker helmet. So and they're getting on, getting onto the motorcycle, and the cops stop and pull her bike, pull her helmet off, and everything. And then you explained this so much better when he comes out in the dress. <laughs> he comes out. Look, he he comes out to this this, this music. There's, there's, there's so this the music playing. Like, it's crazy. This music is playing. He looks in from head to from toe. From the cop is looking at his feet and this sees you see the camera panning up until you yes. get to the top, and it's Kurt Russell in drag. In a red wig with a cigarette. <laughs> it's crazy. A precursor to Tu Wong Fu, <laughs> which was great. So anyway, they come back. Um, you know. All kind of stuff we could talk about. This we could talk about any one of these movies for an hour, but they end up coming back. They kill parrots, core security personnel, and fellow crime lords, and then Requin appears holding Kiki at knife point. Tried <clears throat> to fight the detectives, and Cash ends up killing him. Oh, spoiler alert! <laughs> From 1989. Oopsies. So, um, a really cool scene too is the Hall of Mirrors, where Parrot appears. It's kind of like a funhouse type thing, like a hall of mirrors, you know, where depth and all that. Right. And uh, he's got a gun to Kiki's head. And then um, both both Tango and Cash pick the right one and clip him in the head at the same time. Pow! Right in the forehead. <laughs> right in the forehead. <laughs> and Over right with. in the, the forehead. Right in the forehead. So they get they get Kiki together and they barely escape as the building explodes in in high uh, action fashion. And um, the headline announces that they've been completely vindicated and they return to LAPD as heroes. And they're uh, they're kind of they're they they of course make a friendship throughout. So now they're kind of on on level playing ground, as it were. Now, funny Great enough, to, funny enough, the film originally was not known as Tango and Cash. It was known as the setup. The setup, yes. Yeah, and it was not uh, Stallone and Russell. It was Stallone and Patrick Swayze. Yep. Uh, Patrick Swayze, uh, I think I had heard, just got a little uneasy on how long it was taken and backed out. And he went on to do another 1989 great, I think they called it Roadhouse. Mm. Yeah. With Mister, with the mustache himself, <laughs> Mr. Sam. <laughs> Mr. Sam Elliott, <laughs> one of the greats of all time. Um, and that and right that there. Wraps, that wraps it up. That's exactly. all his movies. That's what I was gonna say. That pretty much covers it for Stallone in the '80s. He 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 had a great decade, with the exception of a little movie I won't say again, but a great decade. So what we're gonna do here, as I mentioned earlier, I'm I'm curious as which what direction you're gonna go with this, but we're gonna give our top three that okay. we think was his three best of that decade. So I'm gonna go ahead and get you if you will, Travis, to go ahead. You don't need to go in depth, the explanation of the movies or anything, but I just want to know right. what your three movies are that you think right. stood My, out to you. These aren't, the, now, these aren't necessarily the three greatest ones he did, but in your eyes, they're your three favorites. Exactly right. So mine's going to be Rocky IV. Uh, it's going to be Rambo three, and I'm, I'm, switching, I'm switching from Cobra, and I'm going with Tango and Cash. Wow, I should have went first. You should have went first. I should have went first. Got the exact same. Dude, I mean, we we were pretty much spot say them backwards. On. Just we're, say them backwards. We're pretty much spot. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do though. 
I'm going to go ahead because I'm a little bit torn on a couple of them, okay? And being that you chose those to be your favorite, maybe I'll just go the other direction with the ones I was thinking because I love Rainbow 2, First Blood Part 2, and I like Rainbow 3. Yep. I've said Rainbow 3 is my favorite of the franchise, and Absolutely. I, I and it is. But, you know, maybe for the sake and purpose of the show today, I'm going to go with Rainbow 2 being one of his greats. Uh, we've got to go. I, I have to go with Rocky Four because it was the best Rocky movie there was. It huh. just, it just was. And um, I, I love Tango and Cash. I, I really do. But I, there's something about Lockup that stood out to me that I liked a lot, and I loved the standoff with him and the warden at the end. It was great. So, like I said earlier, watch it if you haven't seen it. So you can watch that, 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 that scene alone, if anything. Um, right. So, yeah, YouTube it. Just YouTube clips. Just, you, just YouTube slide, it. Man. Exactly. You you can watch the full the full versions later. <laughs> but that's gonna be for me. That's gonna be me. I'm gonna go with uh, like I said, First Blood Part Two, Rambo. I'm gonna go with Rocky Four, and I'm gonna go with Lockup. Right, right. I respect that. I respect that. Uh, you notice. Ten high, ten high. I all three of yours. <laughs> in case the list, in case the listeners did not notice, nobody picked Rhinestone because nobody here is of an insane mind tonight. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. To each your own. To each your own. You may like it, and I'm happy for you if you do. But right, we don't have we don't have dispensaries in our area. It's not legal yet, so we're not uh... a. Can't do it. No, can't do it. Well, that being said, uh, we're gonna go ahead and wrap this show up, Travis. Uh, We're 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 right at the we're we're right at the moment, the end moments of the podcast anyway, and. It's been fun. It's been great. There's nothing like talking some Stallone, and that was just the 80s people. We still got the 90s. He did some things in the 2000s, although we're not going to go there because 70s, 80s, 90s is our gig. That's what we do. That's right. Maybe That's we'll go right. back and touch on some you know, great 70s flicks, not necessarily one particular person. And we'll bring up some of his 70s work involved with that. But that's uh, later down the road sometime if we even do that. 100%. Uh, we do want to thank you for listening today, though. And we hope you enjoyed the show. We hope you, you know, like listening to us banter back and forth with each other. And we would like to ask you, if you would, give us a review. You know, you can go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Give us that great five-star review. Leave a comment uh, that you liked the show or that you didn't like the show. You know, it's okay. If you didn't like the show, you know, give some constructive criticism to how Travis could get better. You know, I mean, because it can't be me. can't be me. It can't be you forgetting about checking out, checking us out on Facebook, exactly. TikTok, well, well, I haven't Instagram. got there. I haven't got there yet, but thank you for bringing it up. Well, okay. Well, good You're good. awesome. I'm, you know, I'm the world's economic I, I, problem. Tell them where, sir, they can find us on social media. You can look us up. All you have to do is just type in Retro Life For You Podcast, the number four, and not just a U. It's Retro Life spelled out the number four and the, the word you all is one and you'll pull us up on TikTok, you'll pull us up on uh instagram and you'll pull us up on facebook uh the web page is in works so we'll have a web page coming very soon and you know as we branch out and do more maybe you'll find us in other places soon we'll let you know where then you can also check out our personal uh we're, we're fine with being personal uh with you guys as well you can find me at just look up travis rollins on facebook i'll go ahead and warn you i'm not family friendly uh i don't violate community standards i I keep it to keeping that as good as i can but and you can find chris at chris adams on facebook exactly so 
We look forward to hearing from you all. I look forward to hearing anything you get to say about this particular podcast or just us in general on the social media. And uh, we'll see more from you then. So, Travis, until the next episode, we'll go ahead and shut this out. And uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode.